This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and should not be interpreted as investment advice. Good morning and welcome to the second Glenn and Josh Macro Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Glenn. And before we start with today's episode, we'd just like to thank everyone who's listened and provided feedback on the first podcast. Um, it was greatly appreciated, and if you haven't already watched that one, we just invite you to go back, go back and, and see our, our first podcast. So we're going to do two topics today. Uh, the first actually came from a client who posed a question, and uh, and we'll, we'll use that as a first topic then. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I was actually uh, having dinner with a client, and um, you know the client was really focused on um, the fact that there's just so much information out there. And, uh, you know, uh, he'd actually had a liquidity event and he wasn't, uh, he was just a little bit daunted by uh, all of the information, all of the news, uh, the doom and gloom, and really how do you sort of navigate that. Um, And so I just thought, you know, we'll, we'll cover two topics today. One is a little bit on asset allocation. So when you might want to take on more risk in, in risk assets, such as equities. Uh, and then in the second half of the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about bonds, because I think that's a really important um, aspect of what's going on at, at the moment. So really, uh, uh, for the first part, I just want to cover um, two very uh, well-known, at least well-known in financial markets, um, Uh, sayings or or, or aphorisms. And one is, don't fight the Fed, uh, obviously referring to the the Federal Reserve. And the second is, don't fight the tape. So we'll just take these two um, adages in sort of uh, in turn. So don't fight the Fed is basically uh, highlighting that the Federal Reserve, and in fact, any central bank, really does have quite a meaningful effect on financial markets. Um, and so whilst the federal, whilst uh, the liquidity environment or whilst the central bank is on your side, so being accommodative, as they call it, so reducing interest rates, providing liquidity, supporting financial markets, that is generally a positive environment for taking on risk and investing in, in risk assets such as such as equities. Um, a great example of that is actually March of 2020. So um, we were in the depths of uh, the uh, COVID lockdowns, uh, financial markets were in crisis, and the Federal Reserve effectively said that it would do whatever it takes, use slightly different language, um, to address and provide liquidity to financial markets so they could function. And in essence, that put the bottom in for equity markets in in late March 2020. And they continued to provide not only very low interest rates or zero rates uh, in uh, in the US, negative rates in in the Eurozone um, and Japan. They've also provided lots of liquidity via quantitative easing, as it's called. And that has really fueled a lot of what we've seen going up to the end of, of last year, the end of 2022. Um, uh, sorry, the end of 2021 uh, in financial markets. So the Federal Reserve providing that liquidity is, is, is 
very a very important marker and the fact that they were positive and they were uh, a net positive influence on financial markets is really uh something worth paying attention to when you're when you're thinking about allocating your your investments um the flip side of that is there are times when usually because of rising inflation uh the federal reserve has to increase interest rates and restrict economic activity um, and reduce asset purchases. And in many respects, that, that started earlier, uh, late last year, early this year, the Federal Reserve starting to talk about uh, raising interest rates to address the inflation problem. And of course, when you have that liquidity being drained from the system, uh, that then just ups the sensitivity of risk assets to any sort of bad news. Um, and so, it's hard to time it perfectly, but probably, you know, late fourth quarter, early first quarter of this year was when you, you could quite arguably say that the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, the central banks of the United States and, and pretty much the world because of that um, moved into a more restrictive um, uh, uh, policy environment. Um, and that is a negative development for, for markets. So that's one aspect to really look at, you know, if you're only going to have two rules uh, when you're deciding how much to invest and when, I think don't fight the Fed should be one of them. Uh, so when liquidity is being generous, you want to be in risk assets when it's being restricted and being removed from financial markets and interest rates are going up as they are at the moment. You want to be uh, much lower, uh, have much lower uh, exposure to, to, uh, to risk assets. And then the second rule is don't fight the tape, uh, also known as don't fight the trend. And this refers to when um, way back, I think it was in the late 1800s, stock prices used to be printed on a ticker tape machine where you'd have the, uh, the name of the company, which was shortened and abbreviated. In fact, that phrase is still used, a ticker. Um, all stocks have a, a ticker, a very short code that represents uh, the company. And the prices were printed on these uh, very thin strips of, of tape. Um, and it's also actually where the, the phrase uh, ticker tape parade comes from, for those of you that are interested. Uh, they used to use it like uh, confetti in... Uh, <laughs> I knew you like that, Josh. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn switching to history rather than financial markets. But anyway, yeah, carry on. <laughs> ticker tape parade, that's really important, huh? <laughs> Well, so, um, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and what the, what the, tr what the don't fight the trend, um, uh, adage is, is really saying is that trends tend to persist over time. So if you are in an uptrend, so if equity markets, you know, there is volatility day to day naturally. And what we usually do just to take out that noise is we will look at a smooth moving average so a very smooth uh, uh average of, of of share prices over a period usually up to usually up to 200 days um if that is in an uptrend that is most likely to persist um and if it's in a downtrend that is also likely to persist over time uptrends are generally quite a bit longer than downtrends um and so this is our second rule, if you like. So one is respect what the Federal Reserve is doing. And the second is if you're in an uptrend, it will probably persist. So that is a good thing. Uh, we are, you know, 
human psychology is one to respect and engage and uh, follow the trend and follow the crowd. We, we like to think we're real individuals, but actually we do like to stay uh, with the crowd. And we've got a whole load of history of uh, trends persisting. Uh, and currently, very similar, actually, this, this is one of the examples where the trend and the Fed has, has really agreed with each other. Um, trend turned positive in May of 2020. So that's about two months later, two months after the Federal Reserve said what it said, had a very uh, immediate impact on prices, and then that sort of fed through into the averages. And trend turned negative in uh, May, April, May of this year. So we're currently in an environment where both the Federal Reserve activities and the tape are are negative. So you want to be at your lower uh, your lower bound of exposures. So just to sum up, you know these are in no way guaranteed. This is just a very very simple uh, three state framework that you might use. Um, it's actually at the heart of uh, a lot of our indicators when we're deciding how much to allocate to equities is to ask yourself, is the Federal Reserve being supportive? The answer to that right now is no. Uh, is the trend positive? The answer right that, to, to, to that right now is no. And so you just want to be at the lower end of your risk um, exposures. You know, if, if you've decided that uh, what's suitable for you is to have a lower bound of, say, 40% in, in equities and an upper bound of 70% in equities. Right now, you'd probably be at the lower bound. And if those two rules disagree, so if the Fed is positive but trend is still negative, you want to just increase your exposure a little bit. And then if they are both positive, as they were from uh, the sort of second quarter of 2020 to the end of last year, you'll probably want to be closer to your, your maximum exposures. And that's a very effective way to cut through all of the noise, um, all of the news, everything that's going on in the world, just to two simple uh, rules. And I, I, I think that's a, uh, an interesting and very powerful way of, of looking at uh, investing. Um, maybe we could just give our, our listeners um, two sort of concrete or concrete examples uh, of quantitative measures of, of those two things. So you could use sort of the three month uh, change in Fed funds rate. Yeah. Uh, to, 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 um, so Fed funds is basically just the, it, it's the, the, the US equivalent of the base rate in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we're using US as, as, as an example, hmm. you can do it for, for any of the central banks. And then you could use uh, the uh, rate of change of the 200 day moving average. So you take the 200 day, moving average today and 10 days ago, for example, uh, or even one day ago, if you, if you want uh, a quicker one, and then see the if that's in an uptrend or a downtrend to, to, de yeah. to, um, um, to determine which, which trend we're in. Just to give people exactly. a, a concrete indicator that they can look at, they can find for themselves pretty easily. Um, Definitely. Just to, and to I think illustrate that's a really what you're good, Yeah, I think that's a really good guide. Um, there are lots of, you know, we, we obviously have a lot more indicators in our decision-making process for, for how much to allocate to equities. But I think in terms of having minimal exposures when risks are elevated, like they are now, having maximum exposures when, um, you know, both the trend and the Fed are, are on your side, as it were, uh, I think that removes um, 
uh, a substantial amount of the the risk and, and heartache of uh, of volatile markets over time. So, as uh, discussed, the uh, the Federal Reserve is is very important for financial markets. The central bank uh, in in the U.S. Now we're just going to expand on how the actions of the central bank uh, are transmitted to both uh, the real economy uh, and financial markets, Josh. Yeah, so I think we should start with what the mandate, uh, what the, the Fed mandate actually is, yeah. which is twofold. So you've got the price stability, i.e. control and inflation, and then they've got a second um, objective, which is to, to uh, ensure stable employment in the US. Um, and central banks around the world have slightly different uh, mandates, but it's more or less a variation on the same theme. Controlling yeah. inflation, ensuring that inflation doesn't become a big problem. And for the last however many years, they've actually been trying to generate a little bit of inflation with, with negative rates. So yeah. at the moment, we've got US CPI, which was released earlier this week at 9.1%. So it's big issue for the Fed, who've come out and said that they're going to be really aggressive in hiking rates to uh, hopefully reduce, reduce that inflation. So how does that actually happen? The Fed controls the Fed funds rate, which is the short uh, lending rate. Um, but they don't control or they don't um, actively control the, the longer uh, rates for U.S. government bonds. That's set by, by market um, forces, by supply and demand, essentially, uh, with the exception of when the Fed gets involved in, in quantitative easing and uh, buying longer dated bonds. But that's, I think, a, a, an issue for, a, for another podcast. So Definitely. <laughs> you've got yeah yeah <laughs> you've got the uh US government bonds which are seen as the risk free rate for US dollars yeah throughout the world yeah um and you get a well you would expect a higher premium further out you go along the curve so if you if you lend your money to the US government for 10 years you'd expect a better yield than lending it to them for one year so when the yeah. Fed increases their short-term lending rates, that gets passed along the curve and priced in market forces, as we said. <clears throat> this risk-free rate is the building blocks for um, a lot of other lending rates, be that corporate bonds, where you've got the risk-free rate plus a credit premium. So if I'm uh, lending to the U.S. government, maybe I, I think it's 3% at the moment. If I'm lending to a company and there's obviously the risk of that company defaulting and not paying me back, maybe I want 4, 5, 6, 7% a year to compensate for that risk. Yeah. So the second place where those uh, risk-free rates come through is, is in a component of the, mortgage, the cost of a mortgage. Um, as the, the risk-free rate rises, obviously that increases the cost of mortgage. So for um, private individuals looking to buy a house, it gets more expensive. Um, so that, and, and this can be extrapolated as well to auto loans or other personal loans, which again, the cost gets yeah. higher, just curbing that demand. Um, 
And finally, the, the higher risk-free rate is also coming through in, in bank deposits. So people are encouraged to save because they're now getting some interest on the cash held in, in, in the banks, as opposed to encouraged to spend it if you're getting zero or, or negative uh, interest rates as we've had across Europe. So we've got a higher cost of borrowing for an individual to, to finance those bigger ticket items. We've got encouragement to save and we've got corporate um, cost of borrowing that's a lot higher. So obviously that's slowing the expansion uh, of businesses. And all these things are, are aiming to curb demand and to uh, essentially reduce inflation. And that's how the, the Fed setting their short-term rate comes back into the real economy. Yeah. In fact, if you're if you're looking for um, Ray Dalio has done a fantastic video on this, which is available also on on YouTube called "How the Economic Machine Works." I think that's a fantastic summary of interest rates, borrowing, uh, transactions, debt cycles. Um, could really really highly recommend that. So we've got a situation where we've got. Uh, already seeing some slight signs of slowing growth, but because of inflation, the Federal Reserve's having to still, you know, uh, continue with its rate rising policy. Uh, in fact, we've had an inversion of what we call the twos tens spread. As Josh mentioned, normally you'd expect a higher yield on a longer dated bond. Um, but when that goes into inversion, where you're getting a higher yield on your two year bond versus your 10 year, um, that's a sign that, uh, economic growth is falling quite dramatically and that actually a recession might be uh, imminent. We're also seeing it in uh, falling prices for commodities and metals, uh, especially industrial metals. If we look at cyclical stocks, so those sectors that are most sensitive to the uh, economic cycle versus defensive, things like healthcare or consumer staples, cyclical stocks are starting to underperform. Um, and we've also got the wealth effect, you know, just the fact that markets have fallen quite dramatically so far this year. That's having a feedback into uh, just general spending and, and just general people's uh, sense of financial uh, uh, health. Uh, mortgage rates have gone up, as Josh has uh, mentioned. And there is there are, there are no real signs that we're going to have any fiscal or meaningful full monetary help for, for the time being. Um, I suppose the one uh, aspect that, that people sort of hang their hats on is that employment trends are still good. Um, the, the reality, though, is that employment is a very late cycle factor. So it usually is the, the last thing to turn, really, when we have a, uh, an economic slowdown or heading into recession. Yeah. And to just tie everything together, we said at the start, don't fight the Fed and don't fight the tape. So the Fed is aggressively raising interest rates. So that is definitely a negative for, for risk assets. And that's been confirmed by the trend with the 200-day moving average rolling over earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, solidly negative now. Um, so, so for risk assets, it's really an underweight or reduced exposure to those. Um, and then on the fixed income signs, obviously the signs of slowing growth that we're seeing should mean that the environment for quality uh, longer duration government bonds should be pretty favorable moving forward. Yeah, and that, that's our biggest overweight in across all, uh, all of our different strategies is uh, significant overweight to uh, 
government bonds, uh, an underweight to equities, uh, underweight gold, underweight industrial commodities, and overweight cash at the moment. If you've got any questions, you would like to, to add any comments to, to what we said today, please feel free to use the comment section below on YouTube or send a message to Glenn or I on LinkedIn. We'd be happy to hear from you, answer any questions in future podcasts or just have a general discussion. Yeah. Uh, and if you'd like to find out more about Harvard Capital and our investing process, you can visit our website at harvardcapital.com. Thank you very much for listening. And Excellent. we'll see you next time. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everyone.